Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of Titus, to the book of Titus in chapter number three, the book of Titus and chapter number three. We are continuing with this series of the pastoral epistles, and this week we'll be finishing up the book of Titus, finishing up on Wednesday night and almost a heartbreaking message as we see what happens to the Apostle Paul at the end of the book of Titus. And then starting next Sunday, we'll be getting the book of Second Timothy to finish off this series of the pastoral epistles. But as for now, we find ourselves in the last chapter of the book of Titus, Titus and chapter number three. Notice with me in Titus chapter three and notice starting in verse number one. Titus chapter three and verse one. Notice what the word of God says. Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lust and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that, the kindness and love of our God, our Savior toward men appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he has saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of Titus chapter 3? Titus in chapter 3, and notice with me at the beginning of verse number 3. Titus chapter 3 and verse 3, notice the phrase, We ourselves also. We ourselves also. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And I thank you for the miracle of salvation. I'm thankful that you changed us into a new creature. And because of that, it should be evident in inside of our life. Help us to be understanding of what it means to be a good creature, to see what you have done in our life, and then help us to learn how to respond because of what you have done for us. 
You are a wonderful God. I'm asking that you would do a miracle in the hearts of men and women tonight. That you would give people the spiritual ears and the understanding that they need to have. That you could take them from where they are and to move them forward. Lord, I'm asking that tonight you would change. You would revolutionize someone's life. I'm asking that tonight it would be a new change where they make a decision to follow after you out of a grateful heart of what you have done for them. Again, this is a work that only you and you alone could do. We could trust you to get your own work done, though, because you are faithful, and you could be nothing but faithful. Thank you, Lord, for being a wonderful God tonight. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The Apostle Paul is finishing up his letter to Titus, and as he's talking to Titus, he's trying to talk to him, give him some last things. This is actually going to be his last correspondence, his last time of communicating with Titus. And so he's taking this time to try to give this last minute encouragement, the last shot in the arm, this last plug to try to help Titus to be the pastor he ought to be, to influence men and women, boys and girls, of people of all types, towards the Lord Jesus Christ. And with this, we could see the relationship that we are to have as the Apostle Paul lumps Titus in with this, with this pronoun we, we ourselves also. That there are things that we ourselves also ought to do. We ourselves, there are some things as born again Christians, as people who have accepted Jesus as our Savior, ought to behave and ought to do. And so if you don't mind, the very first thing I'd like to show you from the book of Titus in chapter number three is that we ourselves should submit to authority. We ourselves should submit to authority. Notice with me in Titus chapter 3 and verse number 1. Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness, Unto all men. Here we see this principle that if, as born again Christians, we ourselves should obey authority, submit to authority. Now, with this, we come with the idea here that the best evidence, the best evidence that the Bible is true, the best evidence that what we say about biblical Christianity is true, is the evidence of a changed life. That we ourselves, because we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior, there should be something different about how we live our life as proof that we're saved. You see, the world has a natural way of responding. And one of the greatest ways to tell a difference in a true born-again Christian is how they respond to authority. Many of you, it hasn't taken long to realize that there is a long-haired hippie rebel in every single one of us. Every single one of us has a desire to rebel against authority. Who is he that tells me what to do? Who's this person? What gives them the right to tell? I know what I'm doing. Does that sound familiar? Is that thoughts in your own head? Every single one of us rebel against authority by nature. But because of the Lord Jesus Christ coming to live inside of our heart, the Holy Spirit indwelling in us, that as we make a choice to follow after Him, there's something different 
about our lives. And one of the greatest evidences, the greatest comparison between someone who is not following the Lord and someone who is following the Lord is how they respond to authority. How they respond to authority. We live in an age now where it is rebellion up and down the road. Facebook, radio, doesn't matter where it is. They hate authority. They hate whoever's in charge, whether it's presidents, whether it's governors, whether it's police officers. They are just glad to rebel against authority. I gave a testimony this morning of a man that I, I talked to last night. This man happens to be a criminal uh, defendant attorney. His job is to defend criminals. And as I was talking to him, he was saying he was glad for anyone to stick it to the man. He was cheering for them. He was also saying that three different times judges pulled him outside of the courtroom to tell him that the attire that he was wearing was not appropriate inside of a courtroom, that there was a certain way. But he was bragging about how he loved to stick it to the man, and he cheered for any criminal. He's the type of guy that if a criminal went... Um, and stole something from someone's house, and someone defended themselves inside of their house, he would be glad to defend the criminal against that person and almost sue that person. Why? Because we live in a world that hates authority, that doesn't like rules, doesn't like regulations, doesn't like to submit to authority. But we ourselves also, that if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, and want to have a visible evidence that there's a difference in our life, it's going to show up in how we obey authority, how we submit to authority. Every single one of us have authority. Whether it's wives, obey your husbands. Whether it's children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Whether it's, uh, <coughs> whether it's obey those that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch over your souls, that they, as they must give an account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for this is not profitable for you. The idea of obeying pastors. Whether it's obeying those who are in authority as in leadership. Notice again in verse number uh, one. Put them in mind to be subject to the principalities and powers. This is the idea of government. That we're supposed to obey and submit to the authority of government. To obey magistrates. These are the lawmakers. To be ready to every good work. Notice as it goes on, it, it's not just talking about behavior, but it's talking about our attitude. Verse 2, to speak evil of no man. You see, there's a difference between just doing what you're supposed to and submitting to it. May I give an example? Here's an example we use often. A parent tells the child to go clean your room, and the child goes... And they go do the action, but are they submitted? They are not. You see, submission is not just doing God's will. It is delighting in God's will. Amen. Delighting in it. You say, that doesn't come natural. That's the point. The only time it comes is when our eyes are on Jesus and letting Jesus do his perfect work inside of our hearts and inside of our lives. Remember, the goal is not to be different. The goal is God. But as we follow God, we will be different. 
And this is the evidence that we are different. The evidence that the Bible works is how we submit to authority. That we ourselves also, because of who Christ is, we submit to authority because we love God. Because we trust God. You say, what happens when authority is wrong? Then authority is wrong. Unless they ask you to do something illegal, immoral, or unbiblical, you are to do your best to obey it. And even if they ask you to something to do illegal, immoral, and biblical, we could still handle them with submission. For example, I taught high school. High school loves the idea of what ifs. And so they'll say, Brother Scotty, what if they pass a law that says that they're outlawing the Bible? Then I still submit. But this is how I submit. Is that I am sorry, I cannot obey the law. I am willing to submit to whatever consequences for disobeying the law. Does it mean that I go hole up and make the last stand of the Alamo and fight to the last man? I'm willing to submit to the consequences of disobeying that law. Let's say they get pulled over by a police officer and you are clearly doing something wrong. You failed to use your turn signal. You failed to make a complete stop at a stop sign. You failed to obey the speed limit. Then when the police officer comes by to do his job and his duty, you don't need to give him a piece of your mind. Yes, sir, I did wrong. Thank you for doing your job and submit to the consequences of the action. You understand that's not a natural response dealing with police officers. But you know, there should be something different with how we deal with authority. Notice in verse number two as it goes on, to speak evil of no man. So now it deals with our attitude of submission. That we're not attacking people's character. For the last, oh... 15, 20 years, many people have had presidents that they have not liked. It doesn't matter who it is. There's been someone who has not liked that president. And there's one thing to, to not like a person's policy. It's a different type of thing when you decide to attack the person. And that is what it's speaking about here. That's not submitting to authority. We in our country have the freedom to be able to disagree with someone's policies. There's nothing wrong with that. And we have a legal system of voting and other things that allow us to use those. However, we do not have the biblical authority to go run down and attack someone because you do not like their policies. There's a difference here. Speak evil of no man. Notice this. Uh, to be brawlers. This isn't just fist fighting, but it has the idea you're ready to fight. We know that we live in a world where people don't like to talk about politics or religion or anything because they're ready to fight. They're ready to put up their dukes and go. That shouldn't be how we are. We should be people who are willing to listen. But notice as it goes on, it gives the opposite. Not brawlers, but gentle. You know, we can be gentle with people we disagree with. That is allowed. You don't have to get in a yelling match because you don't agree with them. But we could be gentle. Notice this, showing all meekness. Meekness is not weakness. It is strength under control. That at all times we have our strength under control. Notice this, unto all men. So we ourselves also, because we are saved, that there should be a difference in our life. And one of the clearest ways that it's going to show up as a difference is how we deal with biblical authority. Now with this, the Apostle Paul takes Titus and brings him back to the past. 
Notice the second thing, that we ourselves needed saving. We ourselves needed saving. Notice in verse number three. So we ourselves also were sometimes. Now what he goes through and says, Titus, let me remind you, as we're dealing with how to deal with all men and that we're gentle and we're meek with all men, let me remind you, Titus, that there was a time that you were not saved. There were a time that you were lost. There was a time, and it goes through this list. You understand that none of us became saved or none of us are going to heaven because of how great we were. None of us are going to heaven because of how outspoken you were. That you're not going to heaven because of how many cool points you had. You're not going to heaven because of all the great things you did. But the true thing about all of us is that before we came to know the Lord, we were all sinners. Every single one of us. In fact, that's the qualification. In order to be saved, you first have to be a sinner. Because without being a sinner, there's no penalty. Without a penalty, there's nothing to save you from. Notice in verse number 3 as he recalls, this is what we were like beforehand. We ourselves also were sometimes foolish. The word foolish carries the idea without regard to God. You think back before you came to know the Lord. There were times that you often did things without thinking about God and whether it pleased Him or not. You did actions just because you were foolish. It says you were disobedient. All of us can look back at our life before Christ and say we were disobedient. Even if you were a small child, whether you were taking cookies from the cookie jar or something, you were disobedient. Notice this. You were deceived. The Bible talks about in the book of Corinthians that the people without Christ, they're blinded. You were deceived. You thought you were a good person before coming to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. You thought you were all right. You thought you could get to heaven because you were not a murderer, because you were not an adulterer or whatever you put it on. But the Bible says we were deceived. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lust and pleasures. Meaning we lived for ourselves. Anything we wanted to do, we went after it. Anything that came across our plate, came across our desire, went across our mind, we thought about it. We dealt with it. We went after it. We pursued it. Notice this, for we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice. The word malice carries the idea of the desire to do physical harm. The one thing about people lost without Christ is that we like revenge. Even sometimes us being saved, we like revenge. Someone does something wrong to us, we want to get back at them. That's that old nature. We want to even the score. That's malice. Malice and envy. Envy has the idea of an ill desire because something good happened to someone else. We couldn't stand that something good happened to someone else. Man, if someone won the lottery, we're jealous of them, even if you didn't play. How come good things happen to that person? That's the idea of envy. Well, that's what people are like without Christ. And that's what we are like in our base nature. Living in malice and envy. Notice this, hateful and hating one another. We live in a world now where flesh is going rampant and we have nothing but hate. You turn on the news, hate. Social media, hate. Radio, hate. People are hateful. 
and they're very hateful. And by the way, that's what we were like before. But notice verse number four, but, but after the kindness and love of our God, our Savior toward men appeared. You know what happened? The Bible says in the book of Romans 5, 8, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We were sinners. We were wretches. We were horrible. But Jesus still died for us. For God commendeth his love towards us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That God proved his love that he died for us. He didn't die for you because he saw something good in you. He didn't die for you because he thought he saw a diamond in the rough. He died for you when you were nothing but someone who hated God. Said, God, leave me alone. Ah, let me do my own thing. He still died for you because he loved you. He was faithful to you even when you were not faithful to him. Notice in verse 5, not by the works of righteousness which we have done. Meaning that in order to come to know Jesus Christ as a Savior, you didn't do a single thing for it. Jesus Christ did the work. But according to his mercy, he saved us. How? By the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. What happened is that Jesus Christ died on the cross. He shed his blood for you and for me. When he died on the cross, he died for us and he died as us as a substitutionary atonement. And then when Jesus Christ died for us and as us, he became our propitiation. He was the appeasement of God's wrath. Then Jesus Christ was our redemption. He purchased us with his blood. He bought us back to himself. And then all that was left was reconciliation to bring two parties back into an agreement. Jesus Christ did all the work. Even a prayer doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. That when you pray, all you're doing is giving Jesus permission to do the work that he's already done. To apply it. To accept the free gift. Romans 6.23 For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You know what a gift is. If I was to hand a gift to someone and say, here's your gift. What must you do to make it yours? What, what must you do? It. It's right. You took it for yourself, right? Did you have to pay me money for it? Did I have to mow your lawn or you have to mow my lawn? You didn't even have to be nice to me. All you had to do was accept it. The same thing's true about going to heaven. To go to heaven, you don't have to go to church. To go to heaven, you don't have to pay money to the church. To go to heaven, you don't have to help little old ladies cross the street. Now, all those things are good things and things that we ought to do, but those things don't get us to heaven. The only thing that gets us to heaven is that Jesus paid our price. And when we accept the gift, he continues his work by washing us clean, renewing us, regening us. Regeneration means to regene. We get a new DNA. The Holy Spirit becomes a part of us. And he can never unbecome a part of us. He is now integrated into us. We are a new creature. This is what Jesus Christ has done for us. Verse number six, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs and according, heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You know what Jesus Christ did for us? Not only did he do the work for us, 
Not only did he pay the price for us, but when we accepted him, he washed us. He put the Holy Spirit inside of us and renewed us. Then he sent us over here and said, you are my heir. That everything that Jesus would inherit, we also get to inherit. We're co-heirs with Jesus. What a wonderful thing. We are God's children. We are a child of the king. God has put us into a brand new family where he'll never disown us. He'll never divorce us. He'll never disavow us. Oh, what a wonderful thing that he has changed us. Isn't this wonderful to think about everything that God has done for us? Doesn't it do something for you? Doesn't it make you excited thinking about what Jesus Christ has done for you? Well, you see, the problem is, is that it gets boring for us. When you spend a lot of time away from the Lord, don't spend a lot of time at the cross of Calvary. You get used to getting saved. And we take it for granted. But you understand, none of us deserve heaven. None of us deserve to be saved. None of us deserve the grace of God. He gave it to us freely because he loved us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish. But have everlasting life. The more that you realize that you're a sinner saved by grace. And that we don't deserve any of it. It is the gift of God. It should do something for us. Which brings us to the third thing. That we understand that we ourselves also should be known as Christians by our good works. We ourselves also should be known as Christians by our good works. Notice with me in verse number 8. This is a faithful saying. Now there are five faithful sayings within the pastoral epistles. Where the apostle Paul takes pen and paper and says. Hey this is a faithful saying. This is something you need to know. This is something that will never ever change. This is a faithful saying. This is a faithful saying, and these things will, uh, the, these things I will that thou affirm constantly. Meaning, you as a pastor, your job is to confirm these things, to remind people of them over and over and over. What is it that Titus is supposed to remind folks over and over? Verse 8, this is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful, it means this idea purposeful, to maintain good works. Now wait a second. You say, did Apostle Paul contradict himself? And verse number 5, it said it was not by works of righteousness which we have done. Yes, that is correct. You see, we didn't do anything in order to be saved. There was nothing you could do to earn God's favor. There's nothing you could do to earn God's salvation. There is nothing you could do to make God love you anymore. The reason why we have good works is not in order to get something from God. It is because of what he's already done for us. You see, we serve God out of a grateful heart of what he's done for us. You see, if somebody is serving God in order to earn salvation or to keep salvation, then they're no longer serving God out of love. They're serving God out of duty. They're serving God out of necessity. 
God doesn't want us to serve God out of necessity. He wants us to serve him out of love, out of a thankfulness, out of a grateful heart, realizing all that he has done for us because of what he has done for us. The Bible says in verse 8, this is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. What we see here is the evidence of a changed life. That because of what Christ has done for me, I am glad to serve him. I am thankful to serve him. And when people see me serving, not in order to get saved or to stay saved, but because I'm thankful, it will show up. And it is an evidence that our God is real. It is an evidence that God has changed our life. You see, God is against religion. Religion, as we define it here, carries the idea that we have to do something in order to earn our place in heaven. God has done all the work. We serve God because of what he has done for us. God is already previous. He's already done the work. We serve him because of what he's done for us. And by the way, there is a direct proportion. The more thankful you are towards the Lord the more gladly you are to serve him. This is why we need to stay in our Bibles. This is why we need to stay in church. This is why we need to stay in prayer. This is why we need to stay singing. This is why we still need to remain thankful. Because as long as we're thankful, we will be glad to serve him. But whenever we get to the place where it's a drudgery to come to church, whenever it's a boredom to read your Bible, Whenever it's a, it's a fight to pray, it's because we're no longer thankful people. It's because we've, re, we've forgotten all that God has done for us. We start to get to the place where we're entitled and we think we deserve something. And we deserve nothing. We don't deserve anything. We live in America. We're the most spoiled people in all the world. Entitled, spoiled brats. You go to other countries and see what little they have and realize how spoiled we are. And with that spoiledness becomes entitled. We often think that we deserve something from God. We deserve nothing. It is out of his grace and mercy that he provides for us. And the more that we realize how much God really loves us, it's not a big deal at all to read our Bible. It's not a big deal at all to be faithful to church. It's not a drudgery to give to God. Because after all, he's given his best for us. The little meager thing that I give to God is nothing compared to what he's given to me. You see, all of this translates into a different life. May I also place here that we as Christians don't live a better life than anyone else. We are not better than anyone else. We are different than other people. And it's our love for God and our appreciation for God that shows up in our good works that makes us different. And how we respond to authority, what we think about Christ and thinking about our past will show up in our good works. 
And notice this at the very end of verse 8. This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. Notice this. These things are good and profitable unto men. The greatest evidence that the Bible works, the greatest evidence that what we say about biblical Christianity is true, is the evidence of a changed life. You see, people know us and they know us well. And when they watch our life become different, they realize that something happened. The evidence of a changed life. It's not something we put on for a little while, but as we walk in thankfulness to God and serve Him out of a grateful heart, other people will notice there's something about it. There's something different. And they'll watch. They'll scratch their head for a little bit and wonder if you just got religion. They'll look and see if you're going to be consistent at it, hoping or thinking that, you know, it's just a phase and you'll get over it. But when you stay consistent and have the evidence of a changed life and serve God out of a grateful heart, they take notice that what you believe is real. The one thing that they cannot dispute with you is your testimony. For you to be able to stand up and say, let me tell you, I was a wretch. I did so much to offend God, but he died for me anyways. And I realize how much that he has done for me. And I'm glad to serve him. It's not a drudgery to serve him. I look forward to serving him. People say, there's something to it. There's something to it. You understand, it's one thing for us to go to someone and say, hey... You're going to die and go to hell unless you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. It's another thing to back up our message with a life that is different. The people that you grew up with, they know who you are. They know your temperaments. They know your flaws because they were with you. They watched you lose your temper. Your family knows what buttons to push. But when you change And start maintaining good works because of what Christ has done for you. Those people will notice and eventually they'll come up to you and will believe your message. But for those who know us best, it's going to take the consistent maintaining of good works because of what he's done for us to break through and say there's something to it. There's something to it. May I also say it this way? The world is tired of hearing about Christians. They want to meet one. They want to meet one who's truly serving God because they're glad of what God has done. They want to meet someone who doesn't feel like the pastor has to twist their arm and say, please, will you read your Bible? Please, will you show up to church? Please, will you be happy and sing and smile and look like you're glad to be here? If you're not glad to go to church, why should people you invite be glad to go to church? If you're happy and you know it, your face will surely show it. It all comes out of being grateful for what God has done for you. Now, again, I understand because of bitterness, because of rebellion, because of sin, sometimes that can wane on us. How grateful have you been to God lately? Has it shown up in your attitude, in your works, in your dealing with people? Or is some of that stuff needs to be dealt with? Are you serving God in order to get something from Him? Or are you serving God because 
of what he's already done for you. Motive is everything. God is so good to us and he's done so much more than we could ever ask or think or even know. He's loved us supremely and he died for us when we were little pipsqueaks who hated God. He still died for us. What amazing love that is. What amazing grace he has shown to save a rich like me. I was once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Why? It's all because of God's amazing grace. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.